You're listening to Act Arcan from Reaching Excellence. I'm a business investor, a property developer, and a mindset coach, and you're listening to Cut to the Chase podcast. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase, episode 127, entitled Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal. That's right, peeps, you heard me correct. Life is not a dress rehearsal. So today, we're going to talk about a lot of great things because I've got a featured guest that is a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Uh, We hit it off quite well when we met a couple weeks back. And uh, his story is quite, quite remarkable. And so I'm going to kind of jump into this with a few quotes before I introduce him. And one of the things that I want to basically start out with saying here is if you fantasize about quitting your job, becoming your own boss, well, hey, you're not alone. What could we do better to take matters into our own hands, setting your own hours, pursuing your own goals and dreams? You don't have to deal with rush hour traffic, cubicles, and mid-management bosses. Now, life is not a dress rehearsal one. When you decide you're going to step out on your own, you have to always be mindful that keeping your words positive, your words become your behavior. Keping your behaviors positive, your your behavior becomes your habits. Keeping your habits positive, your habits become your values keeping your values positive because your values become your destiny. There is no dress rehearsal when you're talking about life. Now, I've said a mouthful and people are probably all in shock because I'm throwing down some wisdom this morning. But like I said, I've got a featured guest that's going to bring it. He's going to bring it. I've been so excited about talking about uh all the great things he's done, his journey. And so without further ado, let me give this guy the proper introduction. So our featured guest is a remodel, or excuse me, our featured guest is a re-owned, respectful, high-performance property and business success coach. As a successful business investor, property entrepreneur, and authority in mindset, his ongoing mission are committed to supporting others in building wealth through property and business so that they can live their fullest life on their own terms. Having had a challenging start in life, growing up in a dysfunctional single-parent family with minimal financial resources, he discovered that the lack of resources were important than the attitude of resourcement. Coupled with a healthy mindset of possibility and good old hard work. Now keep that in mind, people, good old hard work. With no personal funds, no experience, no track records, From standing at the starting blocks, he has gone on to build a multi-million pound portfolio that generates him a six-figure income that allowed for him to retire at the ripe age of 37. He's completed over 200 property transaction deals and is responsible for helping countless others in many predominant well-known industries succeed at investing in property. Now, I know everybody's going, what? I gave a little bit of a hint. Yes, because, you know, he is on the other side of the pond. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Actor Khan. Do you have any opening remarks? Welcome to the show. Hey, Gregory, thank you so much for having me on the show. This is uh, really cool to be here on the other side of the pond. (laughs) Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, you know, let's let's dive into this. You know, let's yeah. let's kind of cut to the chase because uh, there's so many great things uh, to talk about. You know, with your journey and uh, everything that you have endured, basically to become the individual that you are today. And so, where I'd like to start is your early stage childhood. You know, 
I mentioned in the bio, you started out in life growing up in a dysfunctional single parent uh, family home with minimal finances. Could you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in London. My parents were immigrants. Uh, my dad's from Bangladesh and my mom's from Sri Lanka. Uh, they got together and their relationship was very stormy. And they, they ended up getting divorced when I was five, age five years of age. And, um, you know, I was the eldest of five kids. So my father, you know, typical of his culture, went back to his home country. My mom was a single parent. I was kind of the, the man of the house, so to speak. And it was a really challenging childhood. It was a really challenging uh, upbringing. You know, my mom was uh, on receipt of benefits, welfare. We didn't have money. She was always stressed out. And it, it was a dysfunctional family. It was a very toxic environment. I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but looking back with what I know now, you know, she had mental health issues. She used to suffer from, from depression. She probably would have been diagnosed today with a personality disorder. So it was a very toxic, dysfunctional family unit. It was abusive. And, uh, that's kind of where I started out from. But, you know, when you're a kid and that's all you know, you don't know any different. You know, that becomes mm -hmm. like your reality. It becomes what you grow up in. That's, that becomes like um, the norm for you. So, you know, that was kind of where I started out. And although my parents had separated, you know, for, for a long time, they were like cat and dog and they were they're always fighting with each other. They're always arguing with each other. And it all reached this big peak and this crescendo when I got to about the age of 15. You know, my parents decided to have this one big, massive uh, fight with each other. They decided to try and get custody of the kids. And they dragged me and my siblings through this very bitter um, custody battle. And mm -hmm. it really, you know, whilst they're having a great fight, what they couldn't quite see was the the damage it was doing to me and my siblings. You know, uh, for me, it was like it was a very depressing and painful time. And I didn't really know how to handle it. I didn't know how to handle my emotions. Uh, I didn't like being around my mom. I didn't like being around my dad because they were both in such a negative place. And I kind of got into that negative space as well. And I kind of got to this point where I just thought, what's the point? Like, what is the point? I kind of lost my mojo, kind of gave up on what I wanted to do. I just became one of these kids that became depressed. I didn't realize at the time because I had no emotional intelligence at the time. I, I became depressed. I kind of gave up. I just didn't have any drive to do anything. I didn't have the drive to study at school. Before I know it, I started skipping school. I soon got kicked out of what was a good school. It was a grammar school here in the UK. Mm -hmm. And once I got kicked out, I couldn't really do anything. I was at that age where I was too old to go back into school and, and sit my exam. So in essence, I became a dropout. And that was a really tough time for me because my friends from school just didn't want to know me anymore because I was the dropout. And, you know, I, I, who else could I go and associate with? Who was my, you know, I didn't have a peer group. So all I can actually do is hang around with all the other dropouts. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was hanging around these other dropouts, you know, they just didn't have much ambition or they didn't want to do much. And they all came from broken homes, essentially. But the problem with being part of that peer group is that that then becomes part of the benchmark of what you expect out of life. So my right. peer group didn't expect much out of life. I didn't expect much out of life. It was a little bit of a hope, hopeless time. I had no skills. I had no qualifications. I was in that kind of space where I was a little bit too young to work. But it was about a, a few months later that I was actually able to go and get a job. But because I had no qualifications and no skills, I could only get manual labor jobs. And I had some really like rubbish jobs. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, I ended up working for a while and I ended up doing some, you know, I was delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. I was you know, working as a waiter. Uh, you know, I was stacking shelves in a supermarket because that's all I could do. And for me back then, life was pretty, pretty boring. It was pretty rubbish. It was pretty, pretty low, you know. And I remember there was still the toxicity and stuff going on in my family dynamics. So I had to move out of home. I just needed to get out of there because it was just toxic being around my mom and being around all the drama and the kids and everything else. So mm -hmm. I ended up moving out of home and that took me, it was quite a big achievement because I, you know, I was on minimum wages. I was like, you know, I couldn't go out. I had to save up a ton of money so I could move out of home. And I eventually managed to, to get the money together to rent an apartment. And this was a small apartment in London. And I remember moving in, getting the keys. And this was a huge achievement for me, right? It was number one, it was mm -hmm. peaceful because I was away from home and the, and the drama, and I remember like thinking, wow, I've done this. I was 18 years of age. So I move into this apartment and the, uh, the, the letting agent, the real estate agent says the landlord's going to come around one evening to pick up his, his mail. And I was like, okay, fine. Right. So I get a knock on the door one day. So let, let's bear in mind, I just want to paint the picture here. This is the early nineties, right? It's like mm -hmm. 1992. Sure. So sure. back then I used to dress like 
a little bad boy. So I used to have a baseball cap on, you know, puffer jacket. This was the kind of, you know, I look from the ghetto. I look like I was from the ghetto, basically. So there's a knock on the door one evening. I open the door and there's this young kid standing there in front of me. So he's about the same age as me and he's dressed like me. He's got a baseball cap on, he's got a hoodie. And I looked at him and I said, ah, oh, you must be the landlord's son. And he said, no, no, I'm Andy. I'm your landlord. And I remember thinking to myself, you've got to be, you know, kidding me. Right. And I was shocked. I was like, how can this kid, this boy be my landlord? So I was kind of shocked and somewhat rattled, but also intrigued. So I got to know this guy. We became good friends. And I said to him, Andy, how have you managed to buy this property? So what he told me is that he inherited some money from a, a relative who passed away. He then went to his father, borrowed some money from his father. He went to a real estate auction and bought this property for cash, mm-hmm. which was like £20,000 back then. He then went and refinanced it and got a, a mortgage on it for more than what it was worth. So he pulled out all of his money out of the deal. I remember mm-hmm. thinking, wow, this is amazing. So he put his money in. He got all of his money back out. Plus, he was making a healthy return on the, the rental income each month. I then found out he'd repeat this process five times. And I was completely blown away by this. I was like, wow, I'm going to become a property investor. So, <laughs> you know, that, that was the inspiration for me. But the reality of it was, was that it took me some time to do it. Now, my reality back then was still working these crappy jobs. You know, my, my highlight of my life was living, um, you know, living for the weekends. So I'd work hard a week, come out Saturday night. I would then um, go out and party because that's what we did back then, right? I, mm-hmm. I didn't have much else to do. My social uh, friends, my peer groups were still these kind of dropouts. So although I had this beautiful seed planted in my mind of actually going out and becoming a property investor, it took me a long time to do it. In fact, it took me 10 years. So people say, why did it take you so long? Well, right. I was still part of that peer group, okay? I was still working those crappy jobs, and I was still distracting myself by going out partying. I didn't know how to go and do it. Now, when I was out partying, when I was out in that kind of party phase, if you go back to the early 90s, the whole rave scene was the rage here in the UK. So this was like mm-hmm. house and garage music, mm-hmm. underground clubs and, de- you know, and parties and things. And what happened was I kind of got involved in that scene because my life was pretty rubbish. So the highlight was doing fun things. The problem with being part of that rave scene back in the early 90s was that recreational drugs were a part of everyday life. And before I knew it, I started taking ecstasy, which was my drug of choice back then. And it was all great fun until I nearly OD'd. And I remember that was a real wake-up call for me because I remember thinking, what what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? And I knew that deep down inside, there was this almost like a a wise voice inside my head said, you know what? You need to sort your life out. You you need to like level up here. You need to raise your game and you're going to have to make some tough choices, which Mm -hmm. was to leave behind that peer group, leave behind the dropouts and leave behind all those people that were kind of running those toxic patterns and doing these things that were just not going to get anywhere long term. So it was at this time, like my mind had gone back to meeting Andy. This was a couple of years later. So... I then decided, look, I've got to go out and I've got to, got to build a life and build a career and do something that is different from what everyone else is doing. And at that early age, I realized that, you know, the difference between successful people and myself and the people I was hanging around with was that successful people thought differently. So I started to read up a little bit on psychology, like positive thinking, positive mindset stuff. And I realized that I needed to take that direction because if I stayed with the group that I was going to, you know, was, was around, I'd probably end up dead, be, you know, being dead or in prison or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So it took me a little bit of time to start to, to, to work on myself and develop myself. And it, I started to move towards that path of wanting to become a property investor. But it took me a decade. And the reason it took me so long was because whenever it came to actually doing stuff and taking action, I would be met with resistance. So let's talk about what that resistance is. So that Mm -hmm. was things like stress, fear, Mm -hmm. overwhelm, okay? A lack of confidence or or crisis of confidence. That negative voice inside my head saying, you want to be a property investor? Who do you think you are, you know? And and there was all all these kind of issues around my self-worth and self-esteem. I also felt like an imposter. I was like, "Who, who am I? Who am I to be a property entrepreneur? You know, when I'd go out in front of like real estate agents, I'd feel uncomfortable. I'd feel like, oh, they're going to find out that I don't really know what I'm doing. I actually went to the bank and spoke to the bank manager and like, you know, spoke about getting finance. No one told me, no, don't dress like you're, you're from the hood when you go to see a bank manager. He laughed before I actually got into the office. You know, he saw me and I was like, the guy didn't take me seriously, basically. So I had all these experiences 
And the thing was, I didn't know how to overcome this stuff, okay? But eventually, after like a, a decade of going around in circles, you know, it, it took me some time. I saved up some money. I was away from that peer group. I eventually bought my first property deal. So that got me on the ladder and that got me started. But it took me another eight years to buy three properties. Now, okay. during the eight years, I was doing a lot of work in terms of learning psychology. I started to learn about things like neuro-linguistic programming. I trained as a coach, um, became a life coach. Partly, I wanted to sort myself out. I wanted to know why was I doing some of the things I was doing? Why was I thinking the way that I was thinking? Why was I having those negative thought patterns and so forth that weren't serving me? Right. And I got to this point where, you know, I started to get some successes. You know, I became a coach, started to get some successes, and I started to very slowly build a portfolio. But it was a very small portfolio. It was very slow in terms of progression. And there was two reasons for this. The first reason was I was adopting vanilla strategies. I wasn't doing the kind of things that, you know, hardcore uh, real estate guys would do here in the UK. So I was kind of a little bit out of date with the strategy. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem I had was I had a very limited mindset. I didn't know this at the time, but I had things like limiting beliefs. I had beliefs around my self-worth. I had beliefs around, um, you know, what could go wrong. So there was fear of failure. You know, what would happen if things go wrong? I'd look stupid, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a fear of success. What happens if right. I become successful? What happens if I start making money? Will my friends and family still want to be around me? How is it going to impact my life? All this stuff was very hidden and very unconscious. So it, it got to the point where I did my first deal. And then I had a, a kind of another epiphany uh, when I got to about, I think it was about 2010. A close family friend had, you know, had passed away and it was really, really sudden. Mm -hmm. And that experience really shook me up because when she died, she left behind three really young kids. Uh, you know, they were young kids and a, and a loving husband who were all devastated. Mm -hmm. And this made me look at my life. And at that time, you know, I had a partner. My first daughter was two and a half years of age. And it made me think about life. And I remember thinking to myself, what would happen to my partner if anything happened to me? You know, would she be able to cope? Well, actually, it was the wrong question. It was how badly would she struggle? So I looked to myself and I thought, you know what? I have not done enough. I, As a man, as a father, as a partner, I hadn't done enough. I hadn't achieved enough. And I hadn't created enough financial freedom and security for my family. Mm -hmm. So at that point there, I had a really... Um, brutally honest conversation with myself and I put myself under the microscope and I just looked at my life and I thought what am I doing okay I'm working a job where I'm selling my time for money I'm traveling you know a couple of hours a day to work you know if I got caught in traffic it could be three or four hours a day you know it was it was not an easy thing to to do mm -hmm. and um you know, I wasn't seeing my kids. No, I wasn't seeing my partner. You know, I was coming home late at night. The kids were in bed. Sometimes I was leaving in the morning before they got up. And I thought, is this really what I want to be? You know, my head was above water financially. I was just, just about comfortable, but I was surviving. I wasn't thriving. Right. I was surviving. Right. And this whole experience of seeing this friend and seeing the devastation of the kids, it brought up a load of pain for me because it, it took me back to my childhood of not having a parent around. You know, it brought up that kind of abandonment trauma that was in me. And I just made the decision then and there that I've got to level up my life. I've got to do whatever it takes for my partner and my kids to make sure that I'm financially free, financially secure, and that I can build, you know, the lifestyle that I want to build. Because I I got to a point where I realized I was just settling for mediocrity. I was just settling for average. So that was the catalyst for me. Moving on from there, I decided to join a property mastermind where I became educated and learned all the underground uh, strategies so I could build a, a successful portfolio. But that was only a small part of it. That was 20% of it. 20% of it was strategy. 80% of it was upgrading my mindset, upgrading my, my beliefs, upgrading my self-worth, um, healing a lot of trauma. Because one of the things that I learned at that point was some of the glass ceilings that I was hitting, some of those beliefs that I had in terms of my belief system were all things that were, were affecting me from my childhood. So I had to do a lot of healing work, a lot of kind of deeper healing work to change that so that I could break through those glass ceilings and raise the quality of my life, but raise the level of income that I had coming in. So if we move forwards, 12 months after being on that mastermind, um, there was a better your best contest, which is like an end of year contest. So 60 mm -hmm. students on that um, mastermind of the 60, nine had entered into that better your best. Seven had bought one property deal each, one person had bought two, and there was this one person that had bought nine individual properties, a portfolio of 12, set up two real estate agents uh, and... Um, also did a land deal. Now that person was me. And I'm not saying that to brag or boast. Um, mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that I became financially free 
within 12 months. And people often, often say to me, well, what was the difference that made the difference? Did you have more money? Did you have more skill? No, it was all down to mindset and psychology. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, so from there onwards, I became financially free. I built enough wealth for me and my family. And that was really when it started because a year later, I started teaching other people how to do the same thing. But again, I was teaching people more the mindset and the psychology of how people get stuck and what they need to do to overcome. Because there's a lot of hidden obstacles when it comes to entrepreneurship, whether it's property, whether you're, you know, you've got some kind of business or an online business, there's these psychological and emotional challenges that we all hit. And if we're not aware of them, they will subconsciously sabotage us. Right, right. Yeah, yeah totally, totally, totally agree with you there. There's, uh, there's so many things that if we're not set right in our head, that will definitely set us back. And we certainly appreciate you sharing um, that insight, that journey. It, 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 was, uh, it was quite the story to listen to um, and, and, and really kind of follow you through the track of everything that you endured to really kind of get your life back in order. So in essence, you went through kind of a 10-year growth stint, not only uh, mindset, but really education as well. And a lot of times people will say over a decade with that much time, they would just tend to give up. And so my question to you would be, what was the really determining factor before before the death of your friend? What was the determining factor for you that really kept you motivated to really move forward? I know you had mentioned, you know, the, the, the fallacy of wanting to learn, but that learning aspect was not happening quite as fast. You still had these these emotional things. A lot of people tend to say, all right, I'm going to do this. They put forth the action. They put forth the step. But what I'm really asking here is the, the, the premises of what got you, you know, geared up. Did you, did you forecast in your mind that in 10 years, this is where I want to be? Or in 12 years, this is where I want to be. I mean, there were so many things that were going on in your life. Could you actually pinpoint the one or two things that really set you on the track to say, I'm not giving up? Absolutely. I, I can do that. Um, I, I, I wrote a book a little while ago. It's called The Code of Reaching Excellence. And in that book, I share this process. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I did was when that friend passed away, I was kind of like shell-shocked for a couple of months. Like it was a really shocking experience mm-hmm. to not only, you know, see someone die so quickly. It was it was so out of the blue. But when you have an experience like that, it makes you realize, you know, it makes you question your own mortality. It makes you realize how precious life is. Life is not right. a dress rehearsal, okay? Right. So right. we've got to take and make the most of every opportunity that we've got. So in that time scale, I just stepped back and I thought, let me put myself under the microscope and I examined my life, but then I also examined what do I really want? Okay. What do I really want? So I went through this process of thinking if I'm going to live this life and this isn't a dress rehearsal, I have to live my best life. And what does that look like? So I went about this process, which I now call creating a compelling vision for life. What I did was I thought, what do I want to have? So a lot of people, when it comes to business, personal development and entrepreneurship, they create a vision board. And a vision board is great because it gives you a visual representation of the things that you'd like to manifest. Right. Okay. But I'd done that before, but why wasn't I getting the results? So what I learned was that actually you need to have a vision that is aligned to your core values. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with like thousands of clients over the years. And sometimes people have come to me and said, well, look, here's my vision board. And I go, great, let's elicit your values and find out what your values are. And is your Mm -hmm. vision board aligned to your values? Otherwise, we end up wasting time and energy pursuing things that aren't quite congruent with us or aren't aligned to our values. So I went through this process of saying, what do I want? What is my best life? What's that going to look like? And really, it was revolved around my family. Like my family were, and still are, a very important value of mine. You know, I've got two daughters that I'm very close to, and I wanted to create this lifestyle for my family. They became my massive reason why, because there's only so much I'd do for myself, but there was more that I would do for other people because they're a higher value than myself. Mm-hmm. So really the, the catalyst for me was what do I want for my family? What do I want to give to them? Okay. And also one of the things that we sometimes do as entrepreneurs, we think I should be doing this. I should be pursuing this goal. I should be pursuing property. I should be pursuing this online business. I should be getting up early, calling those leads, etc. 
But one of the things that we have to do is once we go through that process of understanding what our vision for life is, and we create a compelling vision that's aligned to our core values, that becomes a pull. That becomes so attractive, it, it turns those shoulds into a must. Right. Because the consequence then for me was, I understand this path that I'm on right now, which is leading, living a mediocre life, selling my time for money, surviving, or I live this wonderful life where I'm thriving. But more importantly, what impact does that have on my partner and my daughter? What impact does that have on my kids? What will happen if I do this? What will happen if I don't do this? And you start to see those two choices. You see, if I take this path here and I don't change, what's going to happen? Where am I going to end up? What are the consequences going to be? Okay, but if I do change, what are the positive consequences going to be? And that's what I did. And that was the catalyst for me to go, look, I have to do this. This is, this is a must. This isn't like uh, I'm going to aim for it. This was an absolute must. It's like I'm going to succeed at this no matter what it takes me because the pain of doing it, sorry, the pain of not doing it far outweighs the pain of the learning curve that you're going to go through. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I certainly can agree with you wholeheartedly there. We, we do put up, and I think from our prior discussion, you called it this invisible wall. And sometimes we have to figure out, you know, one, how do we get through that wall? How do we break through that wall in order to be able to put ourselves in a position of success? And a lot of people never break through that wall. I mean, in a lot of cases, we just have these, uh, these sense of burdens that we carry around with us like baggage for years and years to come and uh, just never really get out of that mindset, never get out of that funk. And so as you talked about the code of reaching excellence, I know we talked briefly about that uh, in our in our uh, discovery call, but kind of walk us through really how does that work? Because a lot of people start to think about, I want to reach excellence. I know it's a mindset. I know it's a take action. I know it's a perseverance. I know it's overcoming. I know it's strategy. But how does one really start with the fundamental principles? You know, what are the basic facts that someone that is really stepping into this world as a first timer? Yeah. Having absolutely. to do. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that I discovered this is through my own experience and also of mentoring lots of people is that when it comes to anything in life, whether it's entrepreneurship, you know, any, any time we're trying to go from point A to point B, whenever we're try, trying to change or grow, we go through what I call four phases of implementation or four phases of execution. This is a model that I've created and this is inside the book. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happens, I'm going to share this model with you. I'm going to talk you through it. Sure. Okay. Is, Whenever we learn something new, we go through a learning curve and there's four stages. The first stage is unconscious incompetence, which means we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Then we go out to do something, okay, and try it out. And then we realize, you know, that, hey, look, this course, this mastermind, this training I've been on, it all sounds great. And it's wonderful. Now I've gone to do it. I realize, hang on, there's a gap in my knowledge. There's a, right. there's a gap in my skill set. And that takes us out of our comfort zone. So what do we do when we're out of our comfort zone? Well, we want to run back to what feels comfortable and familiar. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is where people can sometimes get, you know, um, they get stuck because they get met with resistance at this point. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if we can break through that, what happens is we go to the next stage, which is called conscious competence, which means we know how to do something. So we've plugged those gaps in our skills gap and we've got the knowledge and the confidence to do things. And eventually we get to the point where we do those behaviors or those skills, or whatever it is, negotiating, sales, et cetera. We do those, do those things kind of on autopilot. So if I give you an example to illustrate this, I remember being uh, an 18-year-old kid. I was learning to drive. I got into the car with my um, instructor, and he said to me, do you know how to drive? And I answered, yes. I knew how to drive theoretically, but I didn't have the practical skills. So over here in the UK, you learn to drive in a manual car stick shift. So I engaged the gear. I put my foot on the clutch pulled my foot off, uh, up off the clutch, uh, put, load the handbrake, and I started to move forwards, and I stalled the car. And at that point, the car rolled back, and I panicked. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what I'm doing here. So in my mind, I didn't know that I didn't know how to balance the clutch and drive the car, okay? But at that point, I had a little crisis of confidence. I had a panic. So, you know, it, it got to the point where I'd learned how to balance the clutch, um, use the stick. But every time I was driving, I had to think about what I was doing. Okay, and eventually I passed my test. I was driving years, for years. It got to the point where I didn't, don't even think about it. Man and machine become one and you just drive the car. Well, that process happens when it comes to implementing anything. So there's so many people right now, especially given what's going on in the 
the world and the, and the economy and everything else, people are wanting to better themselves. So if we, ta- if we transpose that into entrepreneurship, this is what I call the four phases of implementation. So the first stage, I call this the euphoria phase. This is where people go, hey, I'm going to join this mastermind. I'm going to join this mentorship. I'm going to join this course. I've read this book. and I'm going to go and do this business or whatever it is I'm going to go and do. Now, this phase is really exciting. It gives you a buzz and it can be addictive, but it also gives you a full sense of achievement because at this point, you've got unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. The next phase is what I call the epiphany phase. This is where people have awake, like they have an awakening because this is where they hit that invisible wall. They hit that that kind of the resistance. And this is where the fear, the self-doubt, the overwhelm, the stress kicks in. This is where that negative self-talk kicks in. This is where they have that lack of confidence or crisis of confidence. Imposter syndrome kicks in. Then they procrastinate because it's uncomfortable. People get stuck here and they kind of go around in circles. And this is also where people are highly susceptible for shiny penny syndrome, which is, hey, I'm now doing this thing that I thought I was going to be easy and I was going to make a load of money and be successful with. It's now uncomfortable. And this is where that self-doubt starts to kick in. And people say, well, maybe property and real estate isn't the right thing for me. Uh, Maybe um, I chose the wrong property strategy. Maybe I chose the wrong business strategy. Uh, Or maybe I shouldn't be an entrepreneur. And when they're in this place here, when they encounter that resistance, it takes them out of their comfort zone. And if you're lucky, you're going to be uncomfortable. But at worst, it can be painful for people because right. it can bring up, at this stage, it can bring up limiting beliefs. It can bring up past fears. It can bring up insecurities. It can bring up doubt. It can bring up trauma. So people end up looping around these two phases. They kind of go backwards and forwards. And I've seen people before where they've said to me, hey, look, I really want to quit my job. I hate it. I hate my boss. I'm working all the hours. I'm not seeing my kids and everything else. And they move through to this phase of the four phases of implementation and they get here and they get stuck. Then all of a sudden they look back and they rationalize why their job was good. Actually, my boss wasn't that bad. It was secure. I could do this. I could do that. It's because it feels more comfortable. The Mm -hmm. key thing here is to break through this, we need to have an understanding of this process. We need to have an understanding of these four phases of implementation. So as I mentioned earlier on, I was stuck for a decade because I was looping around this stuff and I had no self-awareness and no understanding of why I was doing the things I was doing. I didn't know why I was procrastinating. I didn't know why I thought, ah, I'll leave that alone. I'll do this instead. So at this point here, what we need to do is two things. We need to have someone who understands the psychology, who can mentor us hold our hand, because this place can be a stressful and fearful place. You need someone who has that understanding that says, hey, Gregory, I get this. I understand it. I've been here myself. You're probably feeling this, 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 this. This is how you overcome it. And when you've got those tools to overcome it and someone to help you plug those gaps in your skill, then what that's going to do is help you to go to the next phase, which I call the evolution phase. This is where you start to get... um, some you start to get the skills that you need you start to get some successes you start to build your confidence up and you've Mm -hmm. broken through that wall of resistance and you start to get results but at this point here it's very easy to hit plateaus and stop growing so you know this is the stage where you're conscious of what you need to do you know how to close the deal you know how to go and find the deals you know how to you know build your business and get some results but we need to go beyond that because otherwise we're going to get stuck at that plateau Mm-hmm. So, so the next stage, stage is what I call the excellence phase. This is where we break through the plateaus and we look for new ways to improve and grow. And this is really all about mindset. This is about having a mindset of excellence. And excellence is really an at- attitude. It's like, okay, why should I settle for this plateau when I can actually have more? And if I have more, then the people around me can have more too. And it's at this point where you get into this mindset of, hey, look, it doesn't matter that I don't know everything. It doesn't matter that, um, you know, I I don't know how to figure this out. It's being willing to take that step into the unknown and trust the process. Trust the universe is going to give you the answer that you need. Trust that the right person is going to come along. Because on the other side of that gap of not knowing is a God-given gift waiting for you. Something will turn up, you know, and something will manifest itself and take you that direction you need to go through. So those are the four phases of implementation. This is how I became unstuck. And this is what I teach my students inside of my academy. And this is what people really need to know, because if you've got this blueprint and you understand these four phases, you can recognize where you are. And then one of the biggest things that people say to me, and I have this when I have people coming to my academy, they go, can I book a one-to-one call with you? I'm like, yeah. And they think that they're the only person that's going through this stuff. They right, think right. it's only them. Hey, look, 
uh, you know, everyone else is smashing it because this is one of the things that we do. We compare ourselves to other people. Everyone else is smashing it. All the other like students are doing great and everything else, but I'm going through this. I'm feeling stuck. I'm doing this. I'm overwhelmed. And when I say to him, yeah, it's normal. It's okay. I've right. been through this too. And by the way, just because you don't know it, most of the other people in the academy are going through that stuff as well. Because anytime you're going to grow, you're going to get out of your comfort zone. And when you get out of your comfort zone, you're going to go through that resistance. You're going to go through the fear, the self-doubt, the negative self-talk, that lack of confidence. And what we need to do is, number one, accept that it's okay. And number two, we need to learn to, to overcome that stuff. And once we've got that skill set, then you can you can literally go through anything because it doesn't matter what happens. You can then deal with the psychology and the difficult emotions that come up. And once you've gone through this a few times and you realize, hey, this fear isn't going to kill me. It's not going to stop me. Yes, if I'm out of my comfort zone, I know how to navigate that. You can literally level up your life and accelerate. But it's knowing this process and being able to put it into practice. That is the key. And when I came, when I came back to um, talking about the mastermind that was on, what was the difference that made the difference? And I said, mindset, this was the specific thing that I learned and discovered that at that point that allowed me to go from being, you know, someone who was struggling and surviving to someone who really thrived and, and retired at the age of 37. And that's what I want to share with, with you guys and, and people in the world, because I think people really need to know this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think, think that's, that's uh, extremely, extremely important. You know, we, uh, we all deal with these, these setbacks in our lives. And a lot of times we find ourselves, um, you know, not progressing forward, you know, and, and as I was sitting there listening to you, you know, there's so many different points in my life where just like you stated, you know, I could see myself in different phases of what you were explaining based on my mindset and based on how I was met with my own resistance you know, self-doubt when I was in junior high about being able to play football or basketball and and then eventually going to the track team and finding my success in the track team. Uh, self-doubt and being able to start up my first company and having people tell me right out of the gate that, uh, well, Greg, you know, you're never going to survive out there. You're going to be back. You know, we'll give you one year. You'll be back working your own job and then having to push through that. Mm -hmm. Self-doubt in, you know, folks saying, Oh, you're going to go start a podcast? Well, you know, I want to sell you this program. I want to sell you that program. And I'm saying to myself, well, you know, I don't want to follow, you know, the the vanilla, the cookie cutter approach. I want to bring something more wholesome, more fulfillment to the audience. And, uh, you know, just looking at all of those things, if I would have continued to stay on the side of the invisible wall that keeps feeding you know, that, that, that self-doubt, that negativity, that resistance, you know, life would not be where it is today because you, you just don't open yourself up to spread your wings and be able to, to grow and to be able to flourish. And sometimes we have to be willing to take that risk. It is mindset. It is all about strategy. It's all about tactics. It's all about you know, the educational aspect of what we know. But it always comes down to one simple fallacy that I kind of pinpointed to is the decision. Because you are the only person that can make that decision in your life that makes the determining factor as to whether or not you go and you succeed or you don't go and you fail. And that decision happens inside of you as being a human being, each and every last one of us. And a lot of times we choose not to follow what has been burning, that flame, that desire, that motivation, that little voice that says, hey, you need to go forward with this. You need to change. Just like you heard when you were dealing with all the bad kids, you're hanging out with all of the wrong crowd. You've got to change your life. And very much like your story, my story, very similar. Um Having a company before, very successful, 12 years, grew it to, you know, multi-million dollars. And then, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the blink of an eye over the course of one year between my, my father dying, between uh, contracts uh, not materializing, between, you know, uh, things slowing down. I mean, I pretty much, you know, found myself in a funk and then, of course, on top of that, going through a divorce and, and dealing with the issues of all of that and then psychologically not being 
emotionally prepared for all these different types of traumas that were hitting me all at one time, you know, you, you hit that setback. It wasn't like I took an overdose, but you know, in, in hindsight, I really did take an overdose. I took an overdose of life that damn near killed me because at one point you start feeling su- suicidal. You start thinking about, okay, if all this is going to happen to me, why should I continue? Why should I continue to persevere? You know, why, why do I want to continue to deal with this torture? And then you have that little voice, that little voice that says, you know what, you can do this. You know, I mean, you, you can, you can put yourself back on the horse. You can check yourself back into life and you can get back out there and do the things that you were meant to do. And you can do them a lot better as long as you learn from your setbacks. And that was my story, you know, and, uh, you know, it was a, it was a rough one. It was a rough one for me in 2012, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are listening to what we're talking about today, <clears throat> excuse me, that can relate to the understanding and the appreciation of where you are in life and where you need to be in life when you're sitting there not making the proper decisions. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you totally. You know, it is down to us. And I think one of the things that I see is that sometimes it's it's, it's not knowing. Like if awareness is key. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, you know, you, you've mentioned, you know, you've gone through some tough times with your company, you know, divorce. You got to a point where you had suicidal thoughts. I've been there. I know what that yep. feels like. You know, yep. you feel like you're getting it from every angle. It's exhausting. It's like you, you're emotionally hijacked. And you feel like, ah, oh, I haven't got the strength and the energy to, to deal with this stuff, right? And you have those moments where you've got to stop and go, okay, great. You know, this is where I'm at right now. What are my choices? What can I do? And I've had plenty of times where I felt like giving up or, hey, this is overwhelming or this is stressful. But one of the things that helps me is to go back to my big reason why, you know. And my kids are a big, big, big reason why for me. You know, there's always that voice in the back of your head saying, hey, look, you can do this. You can get through this. And I think it's really important that you surround yourself with positive people who will uplift you. You know, like you mentioned, you've got people who said to you, hey, you're going to be back in a year or whatever. That's a projection of what they think, you know. Exactly. Um, you, that, that's their stuff, not yours. And we don't have to take that on board. Mm-hmm. You know, if we've got the right tools, and I mean the right strategy for business, but also a big enough reason why you can achieve anything you want to. I really believe that. That's you know, right. You've got to decide. You know, you've got to decide. Am, am I going to commit to this? You know, and sometimes in, you know, going through this process that I've mentioned, the four phases of implementation, it's not an easy process. You know, one of the things that pains me is there's so many people that sell programs, courses, uh, you know, workshops and masterminds. They go, hey, look, come and do this. It's three easy steps, or it's six easy steps, or you know, there's nine steps to doing this, and you're going to get this result. Well, that might be the nine steps to the strategy, but actually going through this process of change, going through this process of implementation, going through that process of leveling up your life, it's not an easy process. And let's be real about it, but you need to have the right people around you and you can do it. You can do it. Anything that's worth having like in life is not always easy to come by, otherwise everyone would have it. So right. if, you, if you understand that you can have it and it's just a case of simply learning some of these things and learning to have that right mindset and learning how to push through when you get to that point, then, you know, you can, you can achieve anything. And even if you're tired and you're exhausted and everything's hitting you, you know, you can just take one small step, just one small step. You know, it doesn't matter what's going on in your, in your life right now. If you can take one small step in the right direction for you, it's going to be another step, then another step and another step. And before you know it, you'll be in a position where, you know, all those steps will add up into something big. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Akhtar, this has been, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, this has been a quite an enlightening discussion. I, I mean, I, I kind of knew it was going to head in this direction that you would leave, you know, our audience and our listeners with a lot of, you know, intelligence and, and, and gems that they can take away to begin to understand how to appreciate taking those first steps and understanding how to put the first block of your fundamental foundation in place to be able to achieve excellence. And so what I'd like to do here is basically ask, how can people reach out to you if they're interested in taking on your program or your coaching? How would they go about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you could go to our website, which is reachingexcellence.com. 
Uh, there you can download uh, a free version of my book, The Code Reaching Excellence, and you can contact me via there. We're also on social media as well. So just search for Reaching Excellence and uh, there'll be some information online about uh, the programs and stuff that we have. We, we run an academy. So inside that academy, although we teach various things in business, whether it's property, whether it's business buying, marketing, all the kind of business skills, the core of what we do and the core of what is important is the execution and the implementation. So as I've mentioned, it's the four phases of implementation because you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't put it into practice or you struggle to put it into practice, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get things done. So this is what we're really about. And this is what I'm really passionate about. uh, And this is what I want to share to people. So you can go and get that term. Uh, that book for free you can go and download it from our website and there's information there about other courses and things that we've got yeah yeah so you know this wouldn't this wouldn't uh do us any justice if i if i didn't share a light on the fact that you know life is not a dress rehearsal and so what i'd like to be able to uh have you explain to our listeners you know, as far as some takeaways or some some key valuable points that you have understood, you have digested in your growth and in your journey to get you from the bottom to the top, not only financially, but mentally and physically so that you're firing on all cylinders, helping them understand that life is not a dress rehearsal, even if we're changing just one person's mind today. What would you share with them? Oh, yeah, there's there's lots I can share around this. Um, here's what I'm going to say, okay? I, I, I really believe that life isn't a dress rehearsal, and I believe that it's your God-given birthright to live your best life. Reaching excellence is not just about business and entrepreneurship. It's really about reaching excellence in your life. What does that mean to you? Now, I've got a range of clients from people who are running, you know, they, they live everyday lives. They, they kind of work nine to five jobs and they're trying to get out of that and, and create some passive income for themselves and some security. I also work with people who are CEOs, um, you know, own big businesses. I even have a client that owns a bank. It doesn't matter where you are right now on your journey, okay? If you're a human being, these are universal things that you're going to need to have, okay? So I think, the, you know, the, the biggest thing that I think that you need to understand and really focus on is that, and I say this to people all the time, okay, your business is not the end goal. It's the vehicle to get you from where you are now to you living your best life. Okay. And this is, this is a really important thing because if you start to look at how do you want to engineer your life, what do you want in your life and your businesses want to support you to have that, you're going to have a massive reason why. Okay. And this is really important because if you haven't got a big enough reason why, then your excuses will be. And this is what you need to be able to, to, to push yourself through that resistance. You've got to have a massive reason why. So if you're not clear on what your reason why is, and if you haven't got a compelling vision that like inspires you, makes you want to get out of bed in the morning, then that's what you need to focus on because that's going to level your motivation like through the roof. So I'm very clear on what I want to do. And I, you know, my clients and people in the academy, they're very clear or what they want to do. You really can have life on your terms. And it's just a case of like, number one, getting the right belief system around it and believing that you deserve it. This means doing some inner work as well. So quite often, sometimes people don't believe they deserve it. They've got limiting beliefs around themselves. We can all have these dents in our self-esteem around what we think we deserve. We need to just like start raising that and raising the bar. And at first, it's not always an easy thing. We think that we're all good as we are, but we sometimes have to put ourselves under the microscope and realize that we could be having a lot more. So, you know, the first thing really is to really think about how you want to design your life. The next thing I'm going to say is that you need to be around the right kind of people. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been there. I've been around the wrong kind of people. You know, there's a there's a saying in entrepreneurship, you become the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with, you know? Mm-hmm. So if those people are people that are are doing well, they're successful, they're happy in their life, they're happy in their relationships, they're happy with their kids and their family life, you're going to model that. But if you're around people who are negative, who are toxic, who are, who've got drama in their life, that's going to become part of your reality. So it's not always an easy thing to do, but you need to choose your peer group really wisely. Mm-hmm. And it's important that you have the right level of support, you know, find the right kind of mentor, find the right kind of coach, but also you need to be around people that are going to support you one of the things that we have as a culture inside of our academy is an attitude of unconditional love so quite often as entrepreneurs people want to keep up their facade you know we all want to look like we're smashing it we all want to look like we're you know we're hitting it out of the park 
But the reality of it is entrepreneurship is not always an easy journey. You know, there can be ups and downs and like, you know, um, you, you can have your highs and lows and setbacks and everything else, right? It's not a straight line to success. You know, there's all the That's peaks right. and troughs. So one of the things that we say is, look, you know, when people come into our academy, we have weekly coaching calls. I say to people when we start the call, hey, guys, look, you can drop your mask right now. You don't have to be the entrepreneur, the business owner or whatever. You just turn up as yourself. Mm-hmm. What that allows us to do is to not hide. Yeah, we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend everything's okay. And then people get on those calls and I go, you know, I say, look, what, what's, you know, what's going on for you right now? Let's have a check-in. Let's talk about what's going on right now. You know, what's, what's, what's holding you up? What's your, you know, what's your struggle? What's your challenge? And then sometimes they'll just open up and go, actually, I've been working a lot and my wife is not happy with me or I've got challenges at home or I've got these other challenges or I'm feeling and they just open up about how they're feeling and they talk about the resistance they're going through. So it doesn't matter. This process of going through those four phases of implementation, it doesn't happen when you start out. It happens every time you decide to set a new goal, every time you decide to expand your business, every time you decide to level up, you're going to go through that process. So people inside of our academy, we've got this very safe, open and accepting culture where people can just say whatever they want and there's no judgment, there's no criticism, there's no clicks, there's no BS like that. There's just unconditional like support and acceptance. And it's really important that you find people that can be that way for you, because then you don't have to hide. You can then be honest about what resistance you're going through. And awareness is the key. And you need someone who's got the wisdom who can help you to overcome that resistance. These have been the things that have really helped me. This is what I obviously teach in my academy. And I'm not the only person. There's going to be other people out there that can help with this. But you just need to find those kind of people and set those circumstances up. It's going to help you to navigate through those phases of implementation and keep leveling up your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate that wisdom that you've shared with us. Uh, Extremely, extremely important that we all consider, you know, those words because of how important they are. You know, as we talked about earlier on, your values become your destiny. The significance of how you get motivated becomes your destiny. And as we wrap up here, I'd like to end with a quote that basically says, life is like a camera. Focus on what is important. Capture the good times. Develop from the negatives. And if things don't work out, and I'm going to say that one more time. If things don't work out, take another shot. If there's anything we've learned from this conversation today is that life is not a dress rehearsal. But you can't give up. You cannot give up on life. It's our right. It's our duty to live it in the fullest capacity that we can. So this has been episode 127 entitled Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal. Thank you very much, Actar. Certainly uh, looking forward to doing another podcast with you, my brother. <laughs> Thank you. It's a privilege to be here with you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to our listeners, uh, as I've always said at the end of each podcast, you know, let's uh, let's maintain compassion and empathy towards one another. There's a lot going on out there in the world today. You know, we need to try to unify and come together to make this world a better place. Again, we'd like to thank our featured guests, Akhtar Khan, and this is episode 127 entitled Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal. I'm your host, Gregory Proctor. Cut to the chase. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.